Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat & Track Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. My name's Stu Whiffin. I'm your host, and it's another week, therefore it's another podcast episode. And joining me today is former journalist and now Radio X DJ and broadcaster, Gordon Smart. Uh, I recorded this one during lockdown, so uh, we've done this over uh, the internet, face-to-face via a Zoom call. And it was a great chat. It was the first time I'd had a conversation with with Gordon, and uh, and hopefully it'll be the first of many more, because by the time you get to this, uh, the end of this podcast, you'll realise that um, he's a top guy, and uh, and we have a really good natter, and uh, well, I'll just say a few thank yous, and then we'll, we'll get on to that natter, so just quickly, a huge thank you to uh, Scribbis Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network, um, thanks to 76 for producing this podcast, um, and also, if this is your first podcast that you've listened to of Off The Beaten Track, have a look in the archives because there's 150 odd episodes where I chat to some amazing musicians, producers, DJs, actors, comedians, go and have a little rummage in the uh, in the back catalogue and see if there's anything there that takes your fancy and, and if you've already exhausted all of that then I do also have a Patreon account where each week um, I put up a standalone episode over there as well. So you can support the podcast by by uh, going and checking that out. You can find out about everything that's going on uh, in the world of this podcast by going to offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Right, let's get on with that chat. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Gordon Smart. Sorry to chip in, but I've got another announcement. We have another sponsor. Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast. If you're in a band or an upcoming singer-songwriter or you just want a a little look behind the scenes of how the music business works, this podcast is for you. They interview big-name guests every week and the lads go in on topics such as how festivals are put together, the role of today's record companies, the importance of touring, marketing, songwriting, the list goes on. And wait till you hear who they've had on. The Killers. Jimmy Eat World, editors, Frank Turner, Shed Seven, as well as loads of record company execs, festival organisers and radio DJs, and loads more. Visit acpgmusic.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast. Go and check it out. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Me, stew with him. Okay, we're recording. Uh, sitting opposite me today uh, from his home. We're in lockdown when we record this one. Um, we're recording this over Zoom. It's Gordon Smart. Hello. Stu, thank you so much for having me. This has been a long time in the work, so <laughs> it's, it's taken a global pandemic to get us together. <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's, I'm chasing everyone now because no one's got any excuses now. It's like, what are you doing? Well, I, I'm really... No, you're not. You're sitting at home. You've got no excuse. So that's what I've been doing. I'm just hounding people now to come and do the podcast. But I appreciate you doing it, mate. I really do. It's my pleasure. Um, Gordon, I always start... Um, this podcast with uh, the obvious question, which is uh, the song with the greatest ever intro. Yeah, it has to be. Well, for me, it's quite predictable, really, for a Scotsman who grew up in the 80s and 90s. But Underworld, born Slippy, N-U-X-X, 
Um, yeah. I think regardless of wherever you wherever you are in the world, whatever you're doing, when you hear the opening bars to that song, I just the hairs in the back of my neck stand up, and I'm just transported straight back to Edinburgh. And it just makes me feel happy. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel excited. It's the soundtrack to the greatest nights that I've had in my life. I just love that song and everything it means. The, the fact that it was on the uh, soundtrack for one of the greatest films ever made, Train Spotting, which I happened to, <laughs> I thought it was subconscious. I had that mug today. I've got it in front of me right now, the Train Spotting mug. <laughs> but it just, it reminds me of such a special time in my life as well, you know, like borrowing my brother's passport so I could use it as fake ID to get into Century 2000 on Lothian Road in Edinburgh <laughs> and dance like an idiot. Uh, just I, look, I think back to it and it makes me cringe but also makes me really really happy and nostalgic and sentimental about growing up in Edinburgh and I don't know just everything about it is so special and it's just the perfect song as well to finish any big night out as as a club DJ that's a get out of jail card that one the minute them opening bars come in everyone's hands go in the air what Ever kind of club you're playing at as well it's yeah. just kind of and, and also i want to just question you on something here. are you claiming this for scotland mate oh absolutely yeah on the strength of, because i'm from essex so I'm, i I claim underworld as one of our own do you know what i mean yeah. he's writing about that train journey at romford but on the train spotting tip you're claiming it i think so well <laughs> i wonder what would happen to that song had it not been on the soundtrack for train spotting it would have been well known by the likes of you and me because we were really at the clubbing at that point and we loved underworld but I don't think it would have had the mass appeal it has uh, without the, the significance of that film. So I think it's almost become... It's one of those things that's been adopted as Scottish, I think. But you're right. I mean, I remember thinking, I wonder what Romford's like. <laughs> and then being so disappointed when I went there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I won't rush there, mate. <laughs> I remember like, this song mentions Romford. Um, it also mentions Tottenham Court Road, doesn't it? I think there's a bit about mm. being in the tube in Tottenham Court Road. And that's when he starts... So it's one of those things that's just become part of your part of your life. I, I, it just means so much to me. And you know what's amazing about it? It doesn't ever seem to age. Do you notice that? Which I think is a real sign of pure class. But I think if we're talking kind of indie club bangers like like that. I mean, I think Born Slippy doesn't sound like anything else Underworld does. And I think there's certain bands that have these songs that don't necessarily sound like the rest of their their, their back catalogue, but haven't ever aged. And, I, and I, when I say that, I have some examples of that. Are Fool's Gold yeah. like, doesn't sound like anything else the Rosie's done, yet it sounds like it could come out tomorrow and it will be just as key and just as vital. Hassoon is now by the Smiths doesn't sound like anything else the Smiths does, but... It's just, they're, they're records that are just out there. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I think songs in the Scottish films, they're not, I think there might be one in there, Shallow Grave. But there's, there's a song, that underworld song, Res, I listen to all the time as well. And those two together are just perfect as a, as a partnership for a wild night out. <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going for a big one, I, I think both those songs will be played before I go out when I'm out, I'm going to get come when I come home. Perfect. Perfect. All right, Gordon, for track two. Yep. The first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. Right. So, to give this some context, I was born in 1980. So, I would have been four turning five around the whole Live Aid thing. So, Michael Burke's report on the news about Ethiopia, then the subsequent campaign with Bob Geldof, and then the gig at Wembley. But the gig at Wembley was the summer of 85, I think. But the, the do they know it's Christmas was the obviously the Christmas of '84, and I, I just think that's the first time I was aware of a song that was written to raise money to help people who desperately needed it. So the whole situation in Ethiopia was quite a big deal. I remember it being on TV, and my parents explaining what it was all about and the reason this song was created, and then actually listening to the lyrics and trying to understand, you know, what would Christmas mean to other people further away in the world. And, you know, obviously I was four or five years old. But that song, and because it had all those faces that you were beginning to recognise as people from TV and voices you recognise from radio and things that your dad was, or mum were playing at home on records, it just, it was such a big thing. And it was a brilliant introduction as well to 
music and musicians, if you think about it, you know, Bono getting to sing his special line or, you know, but Boy George, I remember being totally fascinated by Boy George when I was four or five. I remember asking my mum and dad, is, is that a boy or is that a girl? <laughs> you know? um, and also just the, the whole spectacle of, of that Wembley gig with Queen, Paul McCartney, making an arse to let it be. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything going wrong. And I just remember that being so significant in my childhood. I could, you know, I remember the day that was on TV. I remember the song being performed. I remember it being on the radio all the time. And also, just as a, a wee boy, understanding the notion of famine and hunger and all of that stuff and music being a connection to it. So it really was significant. It's it's quite strange that you you, you mentioned that because that's I guess it's it's pretty much mine as well. Um, I'm 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 older than you. I was born in '73, and 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 my one of my early memories is is sitting there and, and watching Live Aid with with like my folks and and my aunt and seeing them like crying. And it was and it was when Bowie introduces the the kind of um, the montage of famine. With the Cars Drive being played behind it, and and I remember just because that song's a heart wrenching song anyway, and and sit, hearing just the chord structure of that, and 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 you know with those that imagery like on the screen, and just seeing like everyone in the room was just like tears down their eyes, and like and that was the first time I think like just not just the, the imagery, but just the sound of of, of that of, of music as well, just like hit me like. You know, in, in in an emotional way, I think it was. Uh, you know, and I guess to this day, like I mean, Live Aid was a you know an absolute spectacle. But to this day, the one thing that will make my bottom lip go is crowd singing, whether that's a, a football match or at a gig. When you get people coming together and singing. With such passion, it just yeah. does me. God, you right. got me. You got me there, just talking about it. Because <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm, I'm ten weeks into this isolation business, and <laughs> exactly two years ago tonight, I got the chance to introduce Noel Gallagher on stage at the Watford Coliseum, and you know, I, I'm so sad just thinking it's been ten weeks since I did my job, and two years since a night like that, and you talking about that that togetherness of a live crowd. It really is magical and I think a lot of people that feeling has been crystallized in this time when you're on your own because you miss it don't you and we're in festival uh, time as well aren't we which would normally be the perfect opportunity to go and have those sing-alongs and you're absolutely right it, it, every time it gets me and I happen to support a football team who have probably the greatest football song of all time what team do you support? I'm a Hibernian fan from Edinburgh. Right. This this is amazing, right? So <laughs> I've got to tell you about this. Cool. I don't want to interrupt you, but this is something that I'd never heard before. The bands you're about to say are one of my favourite bands. And i done this podcast with Colin Murray. <laughs> and he went, have you ever seen Hibs fans singing this? And I was like, no. Literally, I reckon I watched that. Every couple of weeks, I'll go on YouTube and watch it just to just to make me bottom lip go. I don't know why I do it, but yeah. it's beautiful. Have you you've obviously been in the crowd for that countless times, yeah. So, oh. uh, actually, the anniversary of us winning the Scottish Cup for the first time in 102 years is the 21st of May 2016. So it's coming up in what are we now? God, day is it? I can't even remember. Yeah, in about six days' time. And I was there with my son. I'm a big brother, and we never thought we'd see it. And the song, for those who don't know, is Sunshine on Leith by The Proclaimers. And it's one of the most bittersweet, melancholy, optimistic, uplifting, beautiful songs. Uh, and you just, I'm the same as you, I watch it. <laughs> it's part of the reason my voice is broken because I've sung, I've sung it so badly so many times. But it's just <laughs> beautiful. While the chief puts sunshine on Leith, I will be with you. It's just wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful music. Lovely. So, the, you, you, obviously, we, we, we've spoke about the first song that had an emotional impact on you. When you was growing up, was you know, was the music on at home? Were your parents into tunes? Yeah, I was massively 
fortunate that my dad was a huge music fan. He was the entertainment convener at Edinburgh University when he was there. So he, he was a medical student. He's a doctor. So he would have been there uh, between 72 and 77, I think. He was a, a studying medicine. And he booked bands like Captain Beefheart and ELO. I think Pink Floyd might even have played Edinburgh Uni when my dad was there. Uh, so we had a house full of vinyl. And I, again, you know, from a very early age, I remember the artwork specifically on his vinyl collection, you know, things like Roxy music, there's always naked women involved, weren't there? Yeah. And um, I remember the average white band album sleeve and a woman's bum on it. Um, yeah. But he just had so, he had, he had loads of brilliant records and it was always on in the house. So I, I think they were really, my parents were really good about buying us compilation albums as well. So we had the first ever, now that's what I call music. Um, that's the first album I ever owned as well, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they, they really made an effort with us. So, you know, there was this ritual in our house about bath time and we'd get out the bath and there would be some album on. I mean, I even remember stuff like ABBA playing and, uh, you know, my dad had a lot of Kate Bush, uh, Fleetwood Mac, Pink Floyd, loads of great stuff to listen to, the Beatles. Um, I remember him being furious because one of us, me and my big brother, had broken his Pink Floyd record, Amagama, I think it was. But he... Uh, yeah, he had great music and we were surrounded by it. I remember in the car as well, we were always on long car journeys and, you know, he'd always have Sound of the 60s or Sound of the 70s on great compilations. Like Simon and Garfunkel, for some reason, I know all the lyrics to all the Simon and Garfunkel songs and then you realise it's because it was on in the car all the time. Yeah. But again, like the minute a Simon and Garfunkel song comes on, I'm immediately transported to be in the back of my dad's Volkswagen Golf singing along to the boxer. And I'm very grateful because the house was full of music. And weirdly as well, my granddad and his side of the family were really talented musicians. So his brothers were uh, in pipe bands, so brilliant drummers. Actually, this is weird. And I always thought there was a connection, but my granddad was called Harry Marr. So my mum's maiden name is Marr. And Johnny Marr was a relative of mine. And I always thought Johnny Marr looks like my relatives, like dark black hair, there's a there's a resemblance to them, but then I found out years later that his real name's Mayer, M A H E R, and he changed it to Mayer. But anyway, there was a lot of drumming and pipe bands and colliery bands and stuff like that. So I ended up learning to play the trumpet to impress my granddad. Why? And I'm so annoyed now I didn't pick up a guitar. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, again, there's a there's a lovely story to tell here. My mum and dad were best friends with a couple called Pat and Morag Kelly. And I've, I think I've got to give Pat Kelly a massive shout out because he owned a music shop called Sound Control, which you might have heard of. It ended up being uh, in all the Virgin music shops as the where you buy your musical instruments. So when we were kids, my mum and dad got brilliant instruments from Pat because he happened to own Sound Control. So we had a beautiful upright Yamaha piano when I was growing up. So me and my brother both learned to play the piano. I mean, my brother, my big brother's fantastic pianist. You know, I just didn't have the patience for it, but I can play a little. And Pat Kelly was one of the original roadies for the Skids, the punk band, um, and then subsequently provided a lot of the kit for Big Country. And off the back of the Skids in Big Country, he had all this equipment that then became his first music shop in Dunfermline and Fife in Scotland. And then he opened one in Edinburgh and one in Glasgow and one in Newcastle. Then there was one in London. And I think there was one in every major city in the country. Um, But there's a great connection there to folk musicians who used to buy from Pat. So, you know, I think he knew the guy who wrote a song called The Kelty Clippy. So when we were kids, there was just this rich tapestry of music that we were aware of. And, you know, my dad was interested in bands and artists and, people who were doing well. So I remember Fairground Attraction and Eddie Reader and The Proclaimers and uh, Big Country and a lot of Scottish music being played. So I'm very, very grateful to being to, to them for being brought up around music. Wonderful. Well, let's 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 stay in the uh, in the childhood days because for track three, Gordon, can you tell me the uh, song that reminds you of your time at school? Yeah, well, I thought I'd go for high school, right? Because primary school, you're just kind of relying on your parents, really. Um, sure. So at high school is when you start to sort of formulate your own musical taste. And again, I'm very lucky. Big brother, Graham, who's two and a half years old, in 1992, I think it was. So it would have been big time grunge. You know, if you think of Nirvana, I, uh, Pearl Jam were massive, Faith No More, Red Hot Chili Peppers were really big as well. And Smells Like Teen Spirit, I think it came out in 1991 or 92, Nevermind, I think it was the the lead single from Nevermind. So every single party I went to when we started high school, 
everyone was singing Smells Like Teen Spirit. I remember the video being on MTV. Just remember Kurt Cobain and everybody being into it. And this mysterious rock icon, sort of the first big rock star that I was aware of was Kurt Cobain. And people playing it very badly on acoustic guitars at parties. <laughs> that would have been me. <laughs> That's my, my, yeah, that's, that was the song that just takes me straight back to the start of high school. Uh, and Did you enjoy school? Oh yeah, yeah. I loved, I loved school. Lucky to a brilliant school and a great place with a really interesting group of. I had brilliant teachers and I had good friends. What more could you want? You know, I felt safe. I was really interested in what I was being taught. Loved sport, loved music. It just, it was great and. Again, they were, like, they were always older kids. I always liked the company of older kids. So I always felt like I was a sponge for stuff they were into. And I'm, again, so grateful because my older brother, he was really into music and his mates were really into music. So they loved the Beastie Boys. I remember the Stone Roses, Smiths. My next door neighbour, uh, Kevin and Benji Edie, their uncle owned the music shop in Perth called Gold Rush Records. So we used to be able to get tickets to gigs. So I remember getting tickets to go and see Oasis really early. Uh, Kev's Kevin Ed's bedroom was just covered in posters that he'd got from Gold Rush Records. So I remember Animal Nitrate from Suede being on the wall and thinking, wow, that's amazing. And he had all the silver tone records stuff on the wall with great pictures of Jackson Pollock artwork with John Squire and Ian Brown all over it. And I, I just remember soaking all of this up. And it was great because I didn't have to buy anything because it was there. You know, my next door neighbour had unlimited music. His dad was really into Bob Dylan and so all the 70s greats as well. So we're just surrounded by amazing, amazing music all the time. There's another kid I should mention called Ian Watson, who was even older than my brother. And Ian went off to America to sell books as a summer job. And I remember he came back and he's the first person I ever knew who had a record bag. And uh, <laughs> he, he came back and we were, we were all listening to, at that time, probably really early on Oasis, Bit of stone roses, and he came back with loads of hip hop. And I remember thinking, What on earth is this? Do you know what I mean? Like, probably early sort of Dr. Dre stuff, Snoop yeah. Dogg, and Warren G and Regulate. I remember that song specifically. And then there was obviously the East Coast Beastie Boys stuff as well. Yeah. So, again, just blowing my mind as this whole new chapter of music opened up. But it's quite hard to explain to younger people. Like we didn't have the internet, right? Which seems ridiculous. So my connection to music was Select Magazine, NME, and whatever my big brother was telling me about. Select Magazine, I'll tell you what, my bedroom wall was absolutely full of them. Because you used to get like sort of six or seven posters, didn't you, in yeah. the inside of Select Magazine, and it was great. Like, yeah. It was like, oh, this week there's like posters of the Beasties and PJ Harvey. It was like, it was great. Yeah. Um, what did you want to be at school? Oh, countless things. So a uh, footballer, a doctor. Uh, I wanted to be in the army briefly. I wanted to work in languages because I really enjoyed French for some reason for a while. So I always liked the idea of travelling and working in languages. But yeah, my dad was a doctor and I just always assumed I'd do the same as him. But then we set up the school newspaper <clears> when I was about 15, a group of us. And then I suddenly realised I had a thing for being a nosy bugger. <laughs> journalism was for me and I, we had I yeah. think I've told this story a few times but we discovered our art teacher Mr Cowie was in the original lineup of Wet 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 and I remember finding that fascinating he had a, I think it was a Les Paul he sometimes had in the office in his in his classroom and I just remember thinking this guy was really cool um, but for some reason I was kind of pushed in an academic direction like if I went to school again now I would do completely different subjects I was shite at art and wished I was good at it, but I would have probably done sort of modern studies and geography and things like that. But yeah. um, I got pushed in a science direction. But yeah, I, I remember when we set up the school newspaper, that was the moment I realised I was probably going to be a journalist. And I was fascinated by, I loved being on stage, but I didn't want to be an actor and I couldn't work out what it was. I then realised I, I would have loved to have been a radio DJ from an early age, but just didn't see my way into it coming from a small town. So my way in was through journalism. Was you a confident kid? Oh, yeah, far too confident. Yeah, <laughs> far too confident for my own good. I mean, there were spells where I just got far too big for my boots and to get taken down a peg or two. And then yeah. you'd, you'd have a moment of being a wee bit shy. But across the board, from an early age, yeah, very confident. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, 
track four, Gordon. First song you remember buying from a record shop? That was a great question because I really struggled. I was, I'd love to give you a really cool answer, but um, I can remember a cluster. Do you of know st- what I go on this? Like, it, it, there's no cool answer for this. It's like <laughs> if you go too cool, you just it's, it's bollocks. If people go too cool, no one was listening to John Peel when they bought their first record. It just weren't <laughs> happening. And I'll tell you what, the, 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 one of the first uh, people I had on here was uh, was Russell uh, from Block Party, and, uh, and I went, "What's the first record you bought?" And I thought. I reckon Russell would have bought a really cool record. And he went, Stiltskin. And I just thought, brilliant. Brilliant. If your first record's Stiltskin, like, that sets the benchmark then. You ain't got to be cool with your first record. Do you know what? I think Stiltskin might be around about my fourth or fifth bag. <laughs> but I bought the album based on that one song that was on an advert on TV. Come How'd that cool. album work out for you, mate? Oh, it was a bag of shite. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like listening to the one song thinking that's brilliant and everything else was dreadful and, being, <laughs> and resenting the fifteen ninety nine and just pays for that because albums weren't cheap then. But um, no. I'm pretty sure it was Queen's Greatest Hits 2. And again, to put that into context, it was around, I would have been at high school, probably first year, so about 12 years old. And I think it was uh, the Olympics 92 would have been Barcelona. So Freddie Mercury would have been everywhere with that amazing song. And also, uh, I think Highlander, the film had come out. And I loved, I don't know why, but I loved that song, Who Wants to Live Forever, um, the Queen song. And it it was something really moving about it. But it was also when CDs first came out, and it was the first thing I could buy on CD that I could play on my dad's new hi-fi. so that was probably the first thing I remember buying. At the same sort of time, just to be totally honest, I think I might have bought a Genesis record as well. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Are you aware that the singer from Stiltskin is now the singer in Genesis? <laughs> I wasn't aware of that, no. <laughs> there you go, mate. Did Phil Collins not announce that he's getting back together with uh, Genesis? Over, oh, I don't over, know. Over I don't know. I'm glad you missed that bit of news, but I did did see it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. And again, again, I I probably didn't buy as much music because my big brother was buying stuff. And yeah. It was just brilliant. It was like having a pers- personal music curator, you know. And it was yeah. only when I started getting jobs when I was like 13, 14, collecting glasses and and restaurants and stuff that I started buying more music. And I'd go up to Gold Rush Records in Perth. And just buy Oasis and Manic Street Preachers and probably Suede. I loved Cooler Shaker, an ocean colour scene, um, Northern Uproar. Uh, there's a band from Glasgow called The Gyres. Loads of that stuff when I was about 13, 14, 15. I remember The Gyres. Yeah. Um, and so were record shops like a place you liked? Was you a crate digger? Did you like hanging out in them? Yeah, but well, my best friend at the time was a guy called Benji Edy. And like I say, it was Benji's uh, uncle who owned Gold Rush Records. I had another mate called Ewan Gowdy and there wasn't really a great deal to do. So if we went to the nearest big town, which was Perth, nearest city, we'd just have a, I would go HMV or our price, I think it would have been, and Gold Rush and just look through the records. Um, So yeah, it was probably a bit of a ritual, yeah, because there was nothing else to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's move forward a little bit after school and, and for track five, the song that soundtracked your year's clubbing. Yeah, this is a brilliant question as well because there are two options, right? Because there was two different types of clubbing, right? So I was a nightclub promoter. I used to put on student nights from 98 to 2001 up in Edinburgh. And so we'd have the sort of cheesy commercial uh, nightclub stuff, which would have, you know, your classic big nightclubs, which will be a total mystery to people growing up now. But you'd have one room that would play total nonsense and the other room would play sort of mainstream house music, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember that song, what was it called? Red Alert. Who did that? That was on all the time. It'll come back to me. Um, but, you know, the, the cool side of the clubbing that I'd do around that time was in this brilliant club in Edinburgh called Sublime. And I remember going to see a lot of, listen to a lot of trance music, which was a pretty wild time. And uh, there'd be like Paul Van Dyke and Darren Emerson. Um, and there was that, that band, I think they were from Portsmouth or Plymouth, um, Binary Finery. And there was this, I think it was a Positiva album I had. And that track, Binary Finery, just takes me straight back to sweating in nightclubs downstairs and just being desperate to be able to go to Ibiza and 
and have a summer there, but just never really getting around to it or having the money to do it. So yeah, that that song, I just remember it being sort of three, four o'clock in the morning in a throng of sweaty people. And that song had come on. And again, just thinking about it now, the hair stands up in the back of my neck. Amazing. Lovely. I put it on this morning before um, before we did this. And I did have a real moment of feeling quite sad about missing. <laughs> it's 22 years since I was at university. Where's that gone? And it, yeah, that, that, they were special times just seeing those DJs in those clubs in Edinburgh and then taking the party on in the fields in the middle of nowhere and just carrying on for days and days, going up to Dundee, seeing some brilliant DJs. I remember seeing Boy George DJing in Edinburgh uh, one new year. And it was just fantastic, probably 1999. And yeah, they, they were special times. Did you uh, get to Abbey for in the end? Only only in the... So it was 2002, maybe, was my first time in Ibiza. And it was kind of the Ibiza Rocks era. So you were going to see... Mm. Yeah, just around that time, I remember the streets, uh, seeing seeing them out there, and then Kasabian. Weirdly, like no guys, I, I think I can't remember. It's such a messy time, but there were a lot of BBC Radio One, Ibiza sort of weekender things going on. So Zane Lowe and a lot of the Radio One DJs out there performing. But yeah, I remember like the Kasabian era, two thousand and four, two thousand and five. There was one particular year. That that was just ridiculous. We had the New Yorker rocks, Ibiza rocks, then on to Benny Kassim, and then came back, and I think it was Tina Park. So I went on a week-long bender. And I, I might have this wrong, but I'm pretty sure I went to Coachella first. And it, it was like something from a book. I mean, I, I can't I can't believe I, I would I took it for granted. I wish I could relive that time. Because we didn't have any kids, me and my wife. She would come to quite a lot of it. But I was living this ridiculous people thought we were writing shit and ruining lives for the sun. I was like writing about amazing nights out and gigs and carry on with all these guys. It was yeah. brilliant, special times. <laughs> Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So did you have your, your sort of your, your indie years clubbing as well? Was there like, you know, the, was there indie clubs up in, uh, in in Edinburgh and stuff that you was going to? Yeah, well, there was a brilliant night um, called Madchester, which used to happen at the Citrus Club in Edinburgh. Uh, I used to go to that 
which was fantastic. Yeah, like then it was a funny one because I I kind of fell out of love a bit with India when I went to university because I felt like we'd had the best years of it. You know, like I felt like Oasis were fizzling out. I think Blur had had their best days by 2000, 2001 at that point. And I was really into going to stuff like Sublime and, you know, getting into that kind of club music. But then I had a bit of a resurgence sort of when Arctic Monkeys and Kasabian kicked off. And when I was in London at that point, like you mentioned it already, this feeling and Mikey Johns, that became, I think that was, I'm terrible with dates. I always get it wrong. But I think that was around 2005, 2006. You were doing a night in Hoxton yeah. with Matt yeah, Horn. Around about then. Yeah. yeah, so I, that, that, that three or four years is a massive blur for me. Uh, but I just remember going to loads of brilliant nights, listening to loads of great music. And I mean, I look back in it now, and I think there's quite a lot of indie landfill, like Jolene and the Jing Jang Jong and <laughs> a lot of that kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's like Jack Pignatti and all those guys. And I tell you who should get a mention is Amy Winehouse as well. Like I, I remember going around Camden quite a lot in the mid-2000s and the, the Libertines, who I quite liked on their first, uh, not Libertines, um, Razorlight and the Libertines, all around those first albums. Like Camden was an exciting place to be. Yeah. So I feel quite grateful, quite lucky to be into music at that time as well. Okay, well, let's go back to, uh, to, to to Scotland and for track six, Gordon. Favourite song from an artist from your home county? Home county? Was it, because I thought that may be a typo. Did you mean country or county? I was, it was meant to be county, but if you've gone country, that's cool. Well, right, oof. well, I went country first because I've loved the Jerry Cinnamon carry on for the last couple of years. Just this mad tribal, like, it, it reminds me a wee bit of the Oasis excitement when you go and see them live because it, it's just unbridled Scottish lunacy. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I love his lyrics. I think he, he has this laconic writing style, just a really efficient way of telling a story. And that song, Diamonds in the Mud, where he talks about going from the milk, castle milk, to the East End. Um, it's the use of Scottish language, unashamedly singing in a Scottish accent as well. You know, like dancing in the scud, I think is one of the lines. Um, he talks about flick knives and you can get the sense of the violence of Glasgow, but also the, the unbridled excitement and madness of the city. It really is. I think he's a magical talent and I love the guy. I think he's brilliant. I love the mystery of him. I love the way he doesn't play the game. I just think everything about him is brilliant. So for, in the last few years, it's definitely been him. And I also, like Paolo Nettini, I think is a hugely underrated songwriter. That song, Iron Sky, yeah, again, it's a a, tune. it stops me in my tracks every time. It is vocal delivery on that. I, I just think he's a huge talent. And I didn't really consider it until recently, but I've seen him a lot. And it's one of those things, I, I've never really got to know Paolo really well. Um, but we've had a couple of nights where I've been in his company and stuff. And I quite like that because I've only ever seen him as a fan. So I've seen him in the Wilton Music Hall, which is a great venue in East London. Saw him at the Royal Festival Hall. Seen him headline tea in the park. I've seen him play in Glasgow. And he, he went from this really shy performer where he'd almost like hunch over in embarrassment with people looking at him. And then suddenly to see him perform a song like Iron Sky, uh, this beautiful voice, this good-looking guy. I mean, he's just a, a phenomenal talent. I cannot wait to see what he does next. I really... I really think he's got an awful lot to offer that boy. So, you know, they're they're two Scottish artists, but if you know, to give it a, a band from my county, I think Fife's probably uh, Fife. Or I, I live in Kinross, and I come from a place called Kinross. So we're kind of on the border of Fife and Tayside. So to give you two would be big hunt, big country. Growing up as a kid, uh, Stuart Adamson was from Dunfermline, and their music meant an awful lot. And the View and Dundee. So, you know, yeah. the viewer probably the band who have done best from where I come from. And it was quite exciting for me to see them doing really well. I, I remember the first time I was aware of them, I think Kyle got arrested when he was found in the boot of Pete Doherty's Jaguar driving the wrong way down <laughs> a one-way street in uh, Dundee at a gig. And I remember thinking, who are, who are these boys? They come from where I come from. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was exciting to see them doing really well. So... If I'm right, I think we're going to talk about Big Country a bit more towards the end of this, yeah. aren't we? So I won't go into that too much. Um, but I just... It's really weird. Did you watch the documentary, maybe, that came out last year um, on the BBC about Scottish music? I've seen so many documentaries, I can't remember. Maybe. It's really interesting. And it's like... And 
and there was a few bands that they sort of touched on in the kind of mid to late 80s from Scotland that, that sort of almost felt like didn't sing with their own accents. Yeah. And, like, and I just wonder what your kind of thoughts are on that. Yeah, it's funny, like Simple Minds were a massive global success and Jim Kerr sang with sort of a transatlantic American accent, didn't he? And then you've got Edwin Collins and Orange Juice, I suppose, who were a massive, massive band. And Edwin Collins is a genius. And, I mean, I think about his solo stuff, like Ever Met a Girl Like You Before, where he was, like, crooning kind of like an Elvis yeah. uh, impersonator in a way. But I haven't got a problem with that at all. I mean, I, I totally get it. And, you know, if you grow up listening to a certain style of music, you will deliver it in a certain way. But yeah. it's funny to hear, like, Paolo, you can hear his Scottish accent, The View, you can yeah. hear the Dundonian in there, Jerry, unashamedly Scottish, Biffy Clyro, of course, you know, it's, it's so clearly Scottish, Frightened Rabbit, which is a... It's a, it's a yeah. ...for doing something because... I can't do it. <laughs> right? yeah. I just wish I could I could perform at a level like that and write a song. But yeah, I've, I haven't got an issue with it at all. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it, was, it was really strange. I think they were talking about wet, wet, wet at the time, and uh, and then I think they just cut to like a, a shot of like Las Vegas or the Proclaimers, and it was just so stark the difference in the delivery. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, okay. Well, let's get on to the the the, the, the last track, Gordon, which is a, a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. And so it's your chance to uh, to play DJ again. Yeah, I think I chose Big Country in the song Restless Natives. Is that right? Yeah, sorry, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, so Big Country, again, I mentioned them earlier on in this conversation about Pat Kelly, the family friend who had worked with uh, Big Country way back in the day. And I think you might have roadied for them, but Stuart Adamson was uh, just an amazing talent. And I think a troubled soul as well. And it's funny how over the years doing my job interviewing big bands, I didn't realise how much of an influence he was on other guitarists. So I remember Johnny Buckland from Coldplay talking about how much he admired Stuart Adamson. You know, he could he could make his guitar sound like bagpipes, <clears throat> excuse me, which sounds massively unappealing. But actually, when you listen to this song, Restless Natives, there's something again that takes me straight back to my childhood so Stuart Adamson and Big Country wrote the soundtrack to this film called Restless Natives which uh, it just it's such a big part of my childhood it's a beautiful story around the same sort of time as Gregory's Girl in those Scottish films or Local Hero and uh, it was about these two lads who worked in a joke shop and they would put on a clown mask and a wolf mask and go up on a, mo- a motorbike into the highlands and rob tour buses and I named my country, I named my country, I named my company after them um, because I just loved the, that romantic notion of, of that story. But the, the, the musicianship and the guitar and just the eerie sort of soundtrack to Scotland in the mid-80s, it just takes me back to that time. I even can elicit the smells of, of where my grandparents lived. So, you know, my gran and granddad lived in a place called Lahore, which was a mining village in West Fife. And if you think around the time that film was made, it was Thatcher's Britain, you know, the Tory government. It was, I think poll tax was about to be tested out on the Scots. There was a lot of political unrest. There was a lot of anger in Scotland. You know, the minor strikes had just happened. And I just think that music reminds me of 80s Scotland. And I was too young to understand it all. Um, but again, it just takes me back to another time. And I think that's the beauty of music. And also, Stuart Adamson was just this fascinating character to me, this this guy who was recognised as a, a world-class talent from the same place I grew up. And it was weird. he was in the skids as well, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the, the guitarist in the skids with Ricky Jobson. Mm. And then he became Big Country. But I didn't truly understand how big the band was until I moved to London and met all these music industry people. So there's a guy called Alan Edwards, who's a big-time uh, music publicist. And he worked with Bowie and Elton John. Um, he's you know a, a proper rock and roll writing amongst it you know from the early 80s you know he's involved in the punk scene and all that and I remember one day he brought up Big Country and I said oh yeah I've got a bit of a connection my father-in-law weirdly was really good friends with Stuart Adamson and a few weeks later he brought me these pictures of him playing football at East End Park in Dunfermline with Stuart Adamson and he was their publicist he was Big Country's publicist and he was like, oh, they were huge. They were absolutely huge. You know, like a world tour. You know, they played all, all around all the biggest venues I could, could have imagined. And I didn't quite appreciate that until I was a bit older. And then, you know, you obviously 
start looking into the skids and you know the history of Scottish punk music and bands like the Exploited that came from that, and then that brilliant punk movement that came afterwards. So I think God you would have had um, there were bands like Goodbye Mr McKenzie and a really vibrant Scottish music scene. That was that was Shirley Manson's first band, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah, Shirley Manson. Yeah. And I and there's a guy actually who played in Goodbye Mr McKenzie called Big John Duncan. And John Duncan was a roadie for Nirvana and sometimes stood in playing for Kurt towards the end of his life. Um, so there's this mad connection with Nirvana and Scottish punk. I think one of Kurt Cobain's... Well, they, they loved Teenage Fan Club as well, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, Teenage Fan Club. I think, um, I think Kurt Cobain, one of his favourite bands was The Exploited. No Gallagher as well, absolutely loved The Exploited. Big John played in that band. So it was really interesting when I started piecing together the influence of the Skids and all the Edinburgh punk bands and the part they had played and all these famous bands. No Scottish musicians just blew my mind when I was a teenager. Yeah, but I, I, I remember like being being that much older than you. I remember like just how big big country were and and our and. It's so weird because a lot of people that, if I mentioned the film Rest of the Saints, probably wouldn't know that film. But for me, I remember hearing Look Away as a kid and seeing a video of these kids with the clown masks on, like on a motorbike, and just thinking, I need to see this film. Yeah. And then when they put it on, I think it was on Channel 4 one, I remember just VHS recording it. And I watched it over and over and over again. And, and yeah, I mean, big country, like, I think, you know, for a, a, a good couple of years, we're probably shoulder to shoulder with like your U2s and, and Simple Minds at that point. They, they were a big deal. Yeah, it's incredible to consider that, isn't it? And I would urge anybody to go and check out the, the film. I caught on DVD about three years ago uh, and I watched it with my son recently and I was horrified by some of the casual racism in it. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? How much... Yeah, yeah, just little things. But you're like, Christ, you'd never ever dream of that now. But that that is one of my dreams in life would be to remake Restless Natives with a modern version of that story and get a band like Arctic Monkeys to re-record or reimagine the soundtrack. Could be so yeah, special. that'd be great. What a good idea. I'd love to do it. Okay, so when um, lockdown's done, Gordon, what's, uh, what's happening? What are you up to? Desperate to get this operation so I can get back onto Radio X. And I'm trying to be as positive as I can, right? So I'm hoping that when we eventually emerge from this. There's just going to be a huge flurry of amazing new music coming out. So hopefully on Radio X, not just on my show, but across all radio and what you're doing as well, we're just going to have this massively rich seam of creativity to talk about, loads of great interviews to do with loads of bands with plenty to talk about. And then on top of that, eventually, when we can all have our arms around each other's shoulders, in a field. I don't care what the weather's like. I'll never moan again about being <laughs> sunburned or muddy just so we can all be together singing at the top of our lungs. Although I'll have to be slightly careful. I don't knacker my voice next time I do that, but I just can't wait for the next time we're at a festival together or a massive gig. Wonderful. Golden, thank you so much for giving up your time today, mate. Really appreciate it. Mate, it's just such an honour to be asked to come on here, Stu. I've seen who you've had on, some of the guests, so it's a pleasure to be involved. And <laughs> Just listen, keep keep up the good work, and maybe I could come on again in a year when I've completely changed my mind about every single thing I've told you there. <laughs> well, what I do um, is if guests want to come back on, then I get them back on to talk about the same sort of structure of questions, but it's all based on gigs, first gigs, the first gig that affected you and things like that. So oh, give that mate. a bit of thought, mate. Let's, and, let's uh, and we'll do that. chat gigs next time. Nice Lovely. Let's do it. Take Thanks, care, mate. There you go. I never thought I'd be talking about the film Restless Natives on this podcast, and it was a joy to do so. What a great film. Go and see if you can find it. I can't I can't recommend that movie enough. Um thanks loads to Gordon. Um what a top lad. Uh, had a really good chat. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully when all this craziness of, of, of quarantine and lockdown is all, is all a long forgotten thing, then um, hopefully we'll, we'll get Gordon back on and do a, a live gig special with him. Um, but yeah, so thanks ever so much for listening, people. And I'll be back next week. And if you can't wait that long, have a route around in the vaults of this podcast or um, head over to the Patreon page because there's over 100 episodes over there as well. So you can find out about all of this on offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Right, I'll see you next time. Stay safe. Bye-bye.
got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It me, stew with him. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.